Welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we are acting as decisively as we can. We're taking care of things that we should have done a long time ago. Uh, with me this week, as he is every week, barring unusual circumstances, is Nick Wildhagen. Hi there. Now, now that I've actually managed to decipher that uh, Zodiac letter, I, I, I've got to be more committed to talking football than ever. <laughs> Very nice. You were the guy who cracked the code, huh? I, I cracked the code. The FBI hadn't for over 50 years, and uh, now, you know, I, I just had a bit of spare time. Uh, caught in between my reindeers here in Norway, I just opened a bottle of Akavit, and uh, that's that's what I... What I did. And now now the world knows that he's not afraid of the gas chamber. He is <laughs> a not a little late. He he was uh he, he was a guy who was he was humorous. He was on the light side. He was uh he was somewhat um funny serial killer, if you can call him that. <laughs> How in the world did we get off on that track? I don't know. I just I just read that article before we started recording and uh <laughs> I remember watching the movie about him with uh was it Jack Jack Gyllenhaal? Oh, yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal's in that. Mark Ruffalo. It's got Robert Downey Jr. It's a classic. I I, I really enjoyed that movie. It's a, it's a, it's a great movie. And uh, I remember watching that. And it uh, that movie, actually, um, I, I didn't sleep well that night, I, I, I must admit. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, that means it's doing what it meant to do. Anyway, let's 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 think about the Bundesliga. Something that's actually funny at times and not uh, chilling. Although there was a, a bit of chilling this week, uh, as we will mention later in the podcast. So we're going to look at the big shuffle at the top of the table. The shock news you know, out of Dortmund. Well, maybe not such a shocking bit of news, but lots of discussion to be had about where things are headed there uh, after that truly nasty result. And woo, a change at the top of the table. Okay, here comes part one of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the best of the match day that's just gone. This was match day 11. As you may or may not know, we have match days 12 and 13 coming up in rapid succession. We have a, a so-called Englische Woche this week. Um, and a lot of times, you know, this is also expanded on, especially when it comes to this sort of critical stage of the season in German press uh, discourse as a Woche der Wahrheit or something like that. You know, where it's it's the week of truth, where after the these three fixtures in rapid succession, we know uh, where different teams stand. Uh, for example, last season, uh, Cologne won all their games in, in the English week before the winter break. And lo and behold, they got themselves out of relegation trouble. Can other teams do similar this year or maybe get a, a, a hammerlock on the top of the table? You know, this was part one of that saga. And what a part one it was. An absolute earthquake of a result at the Westfalenstadion on Saturday. A promoted side, Stuttgart, came into this game and absolutely slaughtered Dortmund. It was a 5-1 win for VfB. This was, you know, level with, I think, six or seven other results. But this is, you know, just as bad. This is the worst home defeat in Dortmund history, a four-goal margin. Pretty ugly. Uh, so in some ways, no surprise that uh, management pulled the trigger, got rid of Lucien Favre uh, in, the, in the aftermath of this match, a coach who they were almost certain to let go in the summer anyway. You know, we, we will talk about this match in just a moment, but first let's talk about this sort of big news coming out of uh, Dortmund this Sunday. Favre out. Nick, was it time to rip off the Band-Aid? <sighs> Well, I've been I've been one of Lucien Favre's biggest defenders, and um, 
I'm not a fan of coaching changes. I'm not a fan of that reactionary uh, sort of way of thinking that, okay, if three, four, five results haven't gone our way, what do we do? Okay, we fire the guy at the top and we bring somebody else. Because most coaches are actually uh, working with the players they do have at hand and most coaches are actually aware of what sort of football their team can play and cannot play. So the changes you get from installing a new manager they may last for two or three matches, and most of the times they actually peter out in most teams taking the same points per match on average as before the change. Here we have a coach who's actually taken more than two points per match with Borussia Dortmund during his time at the club. The only coach who's actually better points per, per match average is, uh, is one Thomas Tuchel, who also was dismissed in a rather unceremonious fashion by Borussia Dortmund. And, you know, he's beaten all the other coaching grades that are remembered so fondly in Dortmund. Klopp, Hitzfeld, all of those guys have actually worse points per match ratios than Favre. And granted, there have been a lot of setbacks over the years. I mean, there was that time when Dortmund were eight points clear at the top of the table in front of Bayern and ended up not taking the championship. Yep. That was about two years ago now. That was two years ago. Then there was the time when, you know, Borussia Dortmund last season uh, struggled against lower mid, mid and lower table, lower lower half of the table sides, like that famous 3-3 draw against Paderborn. But in the end, you feel like Lucien Favre always found an answer when it really mattered the most. So for me, it's really a question and uh, it's a big one. And the big one that I cannot answer is, has Lucien Favre actually at this point lost the dressing room? Yeah, that, that's actually exactly where I want to go. Um, often when you see uh, sort of pile-on results like this where, you know, this was a, you know, Schuchart scored first, you know, and then uh, Gio Reyna. We should mention this goal for a moment just before we, we, we you know, move on. This was <laughs> a totally meaningless goal in terms of results, but this was a hugely meaningful goal in terms of uh, us now knowing that this is something he is capable of. And oh my God, this was an astonishing goal. But, you know, this was a game that, that, that Dortmund maybe had a chance to get themselves back into. And basically they fell apart once they uh, lost the lead again. It just turned into another goal and another goal and another goal. And after the match, there was some senior players, you know, Mats Hummels and, and uh, Marco Royce had some comments that seemed to take a little bit of aim at Lucien Favre. Uh, anytime you have a pile-on result like this, you get that impression that maybe the team is not behind him. Hummels said... Uh, that, that, you know, this team tries to force the ball through tight spaces too much. And, you know, when it works, it's pretty, but most of the time it doesn't work. Royce said, if we're not aggressive defensively, this kind of thing can happen to us. And a lot of people have criticized Lucien Favre for not, you know, sort of setting up his defense in a more, you know, press, counter-press uh, orientation. It seemed to me like if these two guys who are really the leaders of this team are checked out, then <laughs> the team is probably checking out. Yeah, you would assume so, but um, I mean, it, it's really difficult to get a get a read on 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 the entire dressing room. As you know, it, it might as well very well be a, uh, the fact that they're not happy with each other as much as with the coach. I mean, they are both of them are actually criticizing the other. The uh, you know the uh, who is criticizing the attack? Royce is criticizing the defense. 
So they're they're pointing at each other basically in, <laughs> sure, in the other in, phase of the game in those columns. And uh, I mean, those things can be resolved, and those things can be resolved with a coach. I mean, Lucien Favre doesn't strike me as an unreasonable man who isn't willing to listen to his players when it matters. So for me, I, I do, I, you know, I do think that Lucien Favre would have found a way to turn this around. I do think he's a brilliant coach. Um, but yeah, at age 63, he was never going to be the sort of solution that would take Dortmund forward into to a long, long future. He's not going to be the sort of manager who was going to be there for the next five years anyways. So in that sense, uh, avoiding the sort of uh, pr- press echo of, uh, you know, echo chamber going on about, is he going to stay? Is he going to leave in the summer for the entire Rekunda? Might be a good thing for some peace and quiet at the club because now we know we've got Eden Terzic, uh, who's got some experience uh, with West Ham, the Shikters, and the BFLB youth setup at the helm. Um, he's most likely going to lead them for the rest of the season. But what that appointment also tells us is that he's actually the assistant who's second, no, third in line at the club. I mean, there's another assistant between him and Father. Yeah, he's not his right-hand man. He's maybe his, his left-hand man, let's just say. His left-hand man, basically. But you know, when you appoint the assistant, it basically means that you're maybe not too unhappy with the sort of football that has been played at its best. Because if you're Father's assistant, you must be at least somewhat in agreement with the style of football that he is playing with his team. Yeah. Because, let, 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 let's be honest... Uh, a coach is never going to pick a guy who says, you know what, your idea of a back three, I absolutely hate that. I'd, I'd prefer, uh, you know, a 6-3-1 system instead, you know, proper Catanaccio, Lucian. I mean, that, that you know, that all, all that ball possession, I, I totally disagree with that. Yeah, although, He's not never going to pick a guy like he's that. Not, he's not Lucian Favre's guy. I mean, he is, he's somebody who's been around both, you know, as you mentioned, in the Bayfell Bay youth setup. So he's probably soaked in some of the philosophy of guys like Klopp and Tuchel because that's who was in charge when he was there. Uh, he worked under Slavin Bilic at uh, West Ham and Besiktas. So he probably has some, you know, ideas uh, coming influenced by him. This is, I think it's, if they are going to stick with him, they might well get something very different tactically than Fav. But uh, truthfully, I don't want them to stick with him. I, I really, really, really want Bayfell Bay to just move forward. Um, I think it is much too early in the season to just say, hey, you know, we're going to wait till the summer. We're going to wait on on the guy who we really want, who is Marco Rosa, and maybe we can get him off of, of Gladbach, and then our plan will go perfectly. You know, that that is a really great recipe to have a lost season, to have a season where you scrape into the Champions League or you miss it. And this team is much too good for that. I think, it you know... Smells, it smells of Peter Stöger, that appointment. Absolutely, absolutely. You have, there are 23 games left in the season with the kind of squad that you have put together. We've seen them on their good days tear teams apart. This is a team who should be pushing for the title. Get a real coach. I don't care whether you, you know, you hire Ralf Rangnick, whether you, uh, you know, buy out Jesse Marsh or buy out Marco Rosa from their contract. The, both of those are probably thorny, might not happen. You know, if you're going to put a caretaker in place, go big. You know, talk to Otmar Hitzfeld, talk to Jupankas, talk, talk to Austin Wenger. You know, get a real caretaker who is going to bring something to the table, not a guy who's basically a journeyman and, you know, 
is kind of a wild card. I mean, he might, he might work out. Maybe, maybe Aiden Terzic is, you know, a prodigy that we just didn't know about, but I think probably not. <laughs> I mean, there, there would be some problems with Altmaier Hitzfeld, given that, you know, he's, he's, he's old and, you know, he's not, he's not been around top football for some time. And, um, I don't know. I think the world of football has moved forward since he last coached uh, a team at club level. I mean, granted, he's been a national team coach for Switzerland and that that wasn't too long ago. But a lot has changed since. Your Pankis definitely has moved with the times. Um, but, you know, there's that issue of his Bayern past. Arsene Wenger would be an interesting choice, but I think he's far too happy just, you know, pondering about football on television. Yeah, yeah. Advising on IFAB uh, decisions. Yeah, I mean, that that's what Arsene Wenger does best. <laughs> In the end, if you, if you want to go outside and uh, you probably realize, oh, shoot, the only guy of, of, you know, the big caretaker names who are sort of available are Jörg Berger's Ghost and uh, Peter Neuruhr. And both of, them, both, both of them have a past at Schalke. Oh, gosh, <laughs> no, that's, that's not going to fly. I knew that we could not go through a coaching change story without a mention of Peter Neurua. I really, I appreciate it, Nick. I appreciate your consistency. I appreciate the boosterism on on behalf of, of Neurua. I, I think one of these days, someone's going to take the plunge and, and give him another job. Yeah, I mean, his end at Wattenscheid was uh, was really not not the end he deserved. I I, I, I want to see him back, at least at, at third tier level, but... Um, there we go. He's, he's not going to be back at Dortmund anytime soon. All right, Dortmund, uh, clearly this is going to be an interesting week for them. Whatever move they make with coaching uh, is not going to happen this week. They've got two more league games before the truncated winter break. Um, all right, do they still have a cup game? I can't remember uh, what, what their deal is in the cup. Uh, is they have a, a game at midweek? Clearly, you know, whatever happens is not going to happen before probably the short winter break. But uh, a lot's going to happen. We'll be keeping an eye on it. Let's talk about Stuttgart for a moment. They clearly earned uh, a lot of respect in the lead up to this game. They, you know, came into the game um, having having put in some pretty serious performances uh, against big teams earlier. But this result, a five-one win in Dortmund, is is quite likely, in my opinion, to put them into a, a new tier of uh, you know respect around the league. Um, and when you look at it, you know, you look at the table. They are on the edge of Europe. They are on 17 points, level with uh, Union and level with Gladbach. I'm starting to believe that this could actually happen for them. <laughs> All credits to them. I mean, they've put uh, Sven Mislintat in charge of player acquisitions and uh, logistics. And uh, yeah, he's a, he's a guy who, who knows what to do. Uh, I mean, he used to work at Dortmund and uh, most people at Borussia Dortmund have only uh, good things to say about him. So um, yeah, he's he's really he's really come through for them. The team he's assembled, um, some of those players with uh, like Silas Vamagutuka, who have uh, got another couple of goals in this match. They are looking like a very very exciting and great great side to watch. And uh, given that, um, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't put it past them if they finished in the top seven or six at, at this given point, given stage because. They've really held their own, even against the big boys in the league. I mean, they, they played against Bayern the other week, and they stuck it to them as well, and they were unlucky to lose 3-1 against them. This wasn't a fluke. This 5-1 result, uh, some people might think, oh, well, this was a fluke. Uh, maybe they uh, 
were really efficient in front of goal. No, they actually had boatloads, boatloads of chances to score even more goals no, it's, against it's, them. It's because they're better it's than Borussia Dortmund. It's Borussia Dortmund who were lucky to get back into the match at 1-1 through that goal by Gio Reyna, which, you know, if you look at the goal, it was a cross from across the entire pitch. Gio Reyna runs onto the goal. And, you know, it's, it's the sort of run and the sort of finish you cannot def- you defend yourself against, but the defense was actually set up and in balance when they when Borussia Dortmund scored. But other than that, Borussia Dortmund didn't manage to produce anything of note against them. Well, Stuttgart, you know, if they had won 7 or 8-1, uh, Borussia Dortmund probably couldn't have complained. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, by the way, since I mentioned the cup a moment ago, Dortmund are still alive in the cup. I, sorry. At, at this early stage, when we're in the round of 32. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to say maybe I'm not paying great attention as to who's still in it or not. Sorry. Uh, they're away to uh, Braunschweig, uh, I guess, midweek next week. That will be their their last game before the winter break. While Stuttgart are, are at home to Freiburg in that, uh, but we'll probably get to those uh, those games a little bit in, in next week's show. Uh, let's concentrate on the league. These two teams have two more games this week. Dortmund are, have, have Bremen away and uh, Union away as well. Stuttgart um, home to Union and away to Wolfsburg. I'm looking at Stuttgart and I'm actually... I'm really into that into that uh, Stuttgart Union game. I think that's going to be uh, a really really good watch. Looking at Dortmund, you know, I, I think Bremen it might be a, a an, an easier out, but you know, at some point in time they're going to snap out of it, and Union is going to be a very tough game for them. Yeah, I, th- I think what Dortmund basically needs is to gather four points, get into the winter break, regroup, and uh, you know try to to remedy the wrongs that have occurred during the the first half of the season because um as the table clearly shows they've they've dropped far too many points against oppositions that they've actually should have beaten yes sir all right let's uh let's move on to uh, another big game from the weekend another uh, fairly surprising result although maybe uh, less surprising for those who have been paying close attention to the berlin district of Köpenick, uh, where the game went down, it was Union hosting Bayern München. Uh, you know, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Union are now level on points with Stuttgart, sort of in the thick of things for the last Europa League place at the moment. This was a super solid performance. I was surprised, not because I don't think Union are, are pretty good this year. I do, but this was their first game without their main man, uh, Max Kruse, uh, in the starting lineup in, in, I don't know, maybe about eight or nine games. And they did not really miss a beat. They, you know, took an early lead on a, a corner kick. Grisha Prömel got them on the board four minutes in. But, you know, that's what Bayern do this season. <laughs> they give up early goals. What, what, you know, often happens is they will claw back and get that draw or even a win. But really, Union were better <laughs> in this game. They had more chances. They, you know, ran harder after the ball. They're they're. You know, attack looked more organized, more sort of uh, there were more like recognizable patterns in the way that they they built up. I was really kind of shocked, and and I guess the first thing I want to turn to is, you know, a similar question to what I asked about Stuttgart. When do we need to revise our season forecast upward for Union? I mean, I've 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 got a lot of time for them, but I'm yeah, you were ready now. Uh, I mean, what what I can say about Union is is the fact that they are looking a lot more solid and a lot better in attack this season. And uh, that signing of Max Caruso has certainly made a lot of other players like uh, Becker 
shine as well. I mean, he's the sort of player who makes players around him look better. And the fact that they actually can manage without him in such a big match against such a big opponent is, is promising. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm cautiously optimistic that Union Berlin is uh, maybe, maybe, just maybe ready for top-half finish this season if they can continue their good run of form and, you know, outperforming Bayern. I mean, they, as you said, the XG was better than Bayern, only slightly, but it was better than Bayern's. And, uh, you know, at the start of the season, even before before the match, going into the match, you would have never guessed. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I feel that we probably have talked a lot and will talk a lot about Bayern. Um, so I, I do want to leave their side of this um, to the side, other than the fact that, Thank goodness for Robert Lewandowski. I mean, he was the guy who actually uh, evened the score, you know, what, 20, 23 minutes from time. But, you know, if they're going to ask him to bail them out of, of a lot of games like this, I think that there could be trouble ahead for Bayern, especially uh, because of all the pressure that they're being put under. We're going to talk about uh, those teams in a moment who are, you know, either level or have gone past them on the table. But, you know... I'm beginning to think that this is going to be an interesting title race. Especially given that Bayern now have Wolfsburg and Bayer Leverkusen coming up in the next two matches. And, you know, both of these clubs that they're facing are still unbeaten. Both of these clubs have put in good performances against the you know the other big teams of the league, Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, I'm sure we're going to talk about them in a minute. They're actually leading the table now. And who would have thought that after losing Kai Harvards, basically their best player? So yeah, I uh, Bayern are in trouble. I mean, there's a there, you could say that there's a bit of a hangover from from you know the late finish to the season, a bit of a Champions League tournament, that mini tournament they had at the end of the season. There, bit of a hangover from that, and you know players haven't had any time to recuperate, any time to do any summer training, and it's starting to show. Um, so that tiny winter break of two weeks it cannot come soon enough for them i would suppose because you know not being able to clean keep a clean sheet since what was it match day seven match day six i think match day six mm, mm-hmm. and giving up the first goal in the last four or five matches it's so uncharacteristic of Bayern. i mean manuel neuer he's been waiting forever now to get uh, on par with uh, oliver khan uh, for the most clean sheets in the bundesliga's history I mean, Manuel Neuer is on 159, Oliver Kahn's on 160. And uh, yeah, Manuel Neuer has been been waiting to equal that record for week in and week out, basically. And uh, whenever Bayern have had a game and that record was mentioned at the start of the game, it only took like at least most like 15 minutes before it was like, oh, no, it'll have to wait wait at least another week. Yeah, as you mentioned, Bayern, uh, they're taking on uh, Wolfsburg at home and uh, Leverkusen away. That uh, latter game especially should be a big, big biggie. Uh, Union, we mentioned, have uh, Stuttgart away and Dortmund at home to close things out. So not a very easy nut for them to crack. But let's talk now about Bayer Leverkusen. And uh, that's because they are now at the top of the Bundesliga you know, they they saw their opening. They busted through the opening. Leon Bailey scored twice in the opening half hour of this game. One on a quite a, quite a neat sort of uh, training ground uh, corner kick move where he took uh, a, a short corner 
in sort of give and go fashion. So he, he was able to sort of wheel himself a little bit around that uh, right wing and, and curl in a left footed shot. Also a, a second goal where he sort of picked up a bad back pass, you know, Leverkusen threatened to lose the handle on this game early in the second half when uh, Christoph Baumgartner scored, but it didn't last. Florian Wirtz uh, got them back in, and then, you know, <laughs> Florian Grilich and Stefan Posch got sent off, and that was pretty much game over. Uh, Lucas Olario with a late PK goal. Actually, I think that may turn out to be uh, somewhat meaningful, considering uh, Lucas Olario has not gotten as much game time with the return of uh, Patrick Schick you know, it's nice for him to get in. It's nice for him to get a goal. Maybe um, in, in an English week like the one we're about to enter into, he's going to get some some more significant minutes. Nick, I think you kind of uh, referred to it just a moment ago that this is a surprise that they are where they are with not only the, the departure of, of Kai Havertz, but, you know, Kevin Folland, who had scored a lot of goals for them over the years. And as they enter into this last little phase before the winter break, I feel like this has the potential for, for something big. I feel like this this team who's now had, what, about a year and a half or now close to two years under uh, Peter Bosch, I feel like that system that, you know, needed some kinks worked out of it at the beginning in terms of being maybe uh, a little bit vulnerable in, in defense is now one of the stingiest defenses in the Bundesliga. Let's say it softly. Let's say it very softly. This team has a chance to do something big. They do. I mean, for me, a few weeks ago, we were sort of like talking about whether it was them or Gladbach who were the most likely to get that fourth Champions League spot. I think they can probably do better than this if they um, manage to uh, keep this form going for the, in, in, you know, and then the, over the next few weeks that game against Bayern in particular coming up for them and to uh, on next weekend is, is going to be very telling I mean if they can get something out of that you could sort of gently gently whisper about them maybe just maybe being there to um, win the championship I mean last week I sort of dismissed um, their chances and um, having just watched them absolutely destroy Hoffenheim 4-1 and um <laughs> I'm I'm sort of eating my my words from last week, and I think maybe just maybe they um, they can stick around for for a long long time in you know in that fight for for that first position. And uh, given that they're never cousin, you you will or you would expect them to ultimately fall at the last turtle if they make it deep down into March April as championship contenders. But they are actually doing a lot better than you we would have expected them to do at the start of the season. Yep. And, you know, never say never, uh, Nick. Let's let's uh, let, let's start the campaign right here. Just to reflect for a moment on, you know, what they have accomplished uh, going into what's the, the, the match day 12. They have not only got themselves up to the top of the league, but they got themselves out of their Europa League group with great ease. And in truth, this has been a really interesting year for uh, for German teams in uh, European competition. I mean, obviously, the, the Europa League is not as glamorous as its older sibling, the Champions League. But, you know, all you can do when you're playing in the Europa League is, is you know, win and win big. And that's what they've done. I'm beginning to get a sense that 
what's going on in the Bundesliga with with this sort of pretty tight title race or, or a tight clump of teams at the top. We've got, you know, four teams within four points of each other. And, you know, Wolfsburg aside, all of those teams were in Europe and advanced. I'm feeling pretty darn good about, about where the Bundesliga is at. I think there's a lot of good teams. Yeah, and uh, Leverkusen almost broke that goal record that was set by uh, Zari's uh, Napoli back in the day. Uh, they they uh, almost equaled that. I think uh, they were only one goal away from equaling that goal record scored. Uh, I mean, they had one bad game in the Europa League and the rest of them, they basically just steamrolled over all of the oppositions. And uh, in the Bundesliga, it's sort of been a bit of a different story where they've not scored as many goals on average, but they've been really good at the back. And, you know, the criticism of Peter Bosch used to be that he was too attacking, that he um, didn't emphasize the defense enough and that his teams often were found out in, in defense when it mattered the most. But that hasn't really been the case so far this season. I mean, they've conceded 10 goals and out of that 10 goals, I think there was even a 4-3 win, uh, which occurred the other week. And yeah, my my respect for Peter Bosch is growing week in and week out, really, because um being able to to shoulder that blow of losing Kai Harvard, who is ultimately the biggest talent that of his generation in the Bundesliga, no doubt about it. Losing that big talent and and still be able to make a couple of smart signings, yes, but even bettering your team overall, that is some accomplishment for a manager. Yep, yeah, for sure. I'm 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 watching them with great interest this year. They are going to be facing off against uh, Cologne and a big uh, you know Ryan Darby. They are in Cologne for that one at midweek. They uh, travel uh, back to the friendly uh, uh, Leverkusen confines uh, to, to to host Bayern next weekend. Uh, Hoffenheim, um, who have fallen all the way down to 12th in the table at this point, uh, they are hosting Leipzig. They are going away to Gladbach. Not a real easy ride. Um, let's let's take a quick look at the the situation on top of the table. As we mentioned, Leverkusen are now alone at the top on 25. Bayern and Leipzig level on 24, just behind them. And surprisingly enough, although maybe not, if you you know really like unbeaten teams who don't score a lot but don't get scored on a lot, it's Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg were two one winners on Friday night. I thought it was a pretty pretty fun game actually. Uh, it certainly ended in thrilling fashion. You know, they, Frankfurt and and Fauerfeld traded second half penalty kicks, but Vout Weghorst untied the knot with a goal just minutes from time. I don't know if you checked this one out, Nick. This was a this was a real gut check game for me for Wolfsburg because, you know, they I think had probably had slightly, you know, the better of of things in in this game up until that penalty for uh, Eintracht. They went down a goal and Wolfsburg did not sort of check out in any way from this game. They got themselves back into it with a penalty of their own and then, you know, got that late winner. I have, you know, always thought of them as a team that's hard to beat, but not necessarily a team that sort of overcomes adversity to turn matches around. And this, you know, this did it for me. <laughs> well, they did so as well against Werder Bremen only a couple of weeks earlier when they were... <laughs> <laughs> well, anybody can do well, that. Well, yes, maybe, maybe against them. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they had the bottom of, of Eintracht Frankfurt in terms of uh, possession and... Uh, you know, they were looking slightly more likely to score throughout that entire first half, but that first half was really um, dreadful in terms of chance production. Really not an awful lot of chances there, but uh, second half was slightly better. And, uh, you know, once Frankfurt scored that goal, that actually meant 
that actually saw Wolfsburg kicking it up a notch and, you know, producing more chances. And uh, Wout Vekos, what a guy. Five goals, uh, five games in a row where he scored. What a guy. So, yeah, he's, he's definitely, definitely uh, in with a chance to get that, uh, that <laughs> Torschützen uh, Kanone. Yep. Yeah, and and you know, early in the season after uh, Hoffenheim's big win over Bayern, um, in, in which you know Andre Kramaric was so instrumental, we were prompted to give the third best striker in the Bundesliga crown to him because of you know what he did in that game and some some other games early in the season. But um, you know, I'm going to have to revoke it. I think uh, I think Fout Weghorst is uh, you know now in in line for that uh, third best striker throne. Uh, it's not a it's not, it's not a grand throne. It's more it's kind of a folding chair, but uh, it's a really nice <laughs> sort of bejazzled uh, folding chair, and and I think he's going to like it. It's not like here, no, no. Those would be more not. of a stackable chair. Yeah, it's it's solid. It's, it's solid, solid stuff. Kramaric actually was on top of the kicker Spielerbörse uh, going into this match day, but after after that back pass uh, that saw Leon Leon Bailey Bailey score for for Leverkusen's second, he's he's probably going to miss that spot. Oh yeah, I would indeed. Assume. Because uh, that that back pass was so shocking in in so many ways. I mean, he was even looking up whilst he was playing the ball. It wasn't sort of like a blind pass, sort of like uh, too casual, maybe too routine. It was he was looking up, and still he managed to play put the ball basically into a position where Leverkusen's player just had to run onto it and. Oliver Baumann, too, was caught completely out of position. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Vekost, third best striker in the Bundesliga right now. But, um, hey, that third best striker, it might change in the not-too-distant future. <laughs> it could. It could. It, it always could. Uh, looking ahead, Wolfsburg, they have a very spicy rest of their English Woche. They are away to Bayern and home to Stuttgart. Uh, as we know, Stuttgart are no mugs. Eintracht, on the other hand, they are kind of hanging out with some of the teams who are more in their neighborhood at the moment. Uh, Gladbach at home, Augsburg away. All right, let's leave part one behind and, uh, you know, momentarily see you for part two. Welcome to part two of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone here on match day 11. Man, 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 we were on the verge of something very, very special in Augsburg, result-wise, but in the end, it was more overshadowed by uh, a couple of heartbreaking factors, truthfully. Not only did Schalke, who were the visitors in Augsburg, did they let a 2-1 lead slip away in injury time, which, of course was really bad for them. That's just their 27th game without a win. But it also sort of underscored the fact that what a lot of us figured was going to be their sort of motivation in the second half of this game, and, and if you talk to the players, you, you probably would hear the same, that Mark Oot, they were playing for Mark Oot. They were trying to get a result in this game for him. He had left the game in the first half with a pretty scary head injury. Um, he, he, he had taken a knock to the back of his head from Felix Udakai uh, during a, an aerial duel, and he was unconscious before he hit the ground, which, if you watch the replay, it was not really nice viewing. Uh, unconscious for a good 10 minutes on the pitch, had to be stretchered off, was still unconscious for a while after going uh, into the sort of treatment room. Um, apparently he's okay. Apparently, well, you know, okay is a relative term here, I guess. Uh, but he was talking, he was, uh, you know, 
with it. He's posted to social media that he's he's going to be okay. He's going to get out of the hospital on Monday. Um, but, you know, I feel like there could have been at least a, a, a small silver lining for for him, for Schalke, for their fans, whatever, if they would able to if they had been able to snap this uh, winless streak, but they didn't, and now it just feels like trash. <laughs> to be honest, if, if you look at this from, from a Schalke perspective. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to sort through, you know, the, the, the takeaways from this game because obviously a 27-match uh, uh, winless run is, you know, in Bundesliga results terms, a really big deal. But, like, it's actually nothing compared to uh, a human being uh, and, and their, like, the future of their life and health. Ugh. I'm sure this was a hard game to continue playing in. Yeah, the referee, Mario Griff, actually um, gave the Schalke players and officials the choice. Uh, do you want to walk off the pitch? Do you want to abandon the match? Um, we can, given what just happened. I mean, when you saw the players surrounding the incident and uh, of both sides, and when you saw the, the look on Manuel Griff's face as he saw an unconscious Mark Oot just lying there on, on the ground. I mean, the camera, uh, the uh, the guys who uh, designed on the pictures for the match, they cut quickly away. Uh, you know, they actually showed the player on the ground, and once they realized that he was utterly unconscious, they cut away from him just lying there on the ground. And, uh, you know, when you when you see a player getting a transfusion on, on the pitch, you know, it's, it's, it's really serious. Um, I cannot remember the last time I actually saw an IV back out on a Bundesliga pitch. Um, it's it's great to hear that he is conscious, that he can speak, and that he uh, is going to be fine, and that he's going to be released from hospital on on Monday. But nevertheless, it was really a, it was really a nasty moment, and, and the players on the pitch, they probably didn't know what, what was going to happen to Mark Oud and uh, how well he was going to fare whilst they were playing that match. Um, so it must have, been, must have been a very tough match to compete in. And uh, yes, Schalke threw away a 2-1 lead after you know turning around a 1-0 deficit and even being a man up after Georg Liedernichner was sent, sent off for, for second yellow card infringement, which we could argue about because I think the second yellow card was kind of soft, but it was also... You know, it was a, was another aerial duel, yeah. and given what what happened, you cannot really fault Manuel Griffith to be. It was a bit of like, <laughs> have you guys learned nothing here? <laughs> kind of a moment. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, Manuel Griffith, truly one of the best, if not the best, referee in the Bundesliga right now. You know, I think I think what what is good to see is how he handled that situation. That Schalke would give him the chance to abandon the match. Uh, that there was a clear message sent from the referee that, you know what, this situation and the fact that we have encountered a very serious incident uh, regarding a human's life and health here, it it matters more to me than just finishing a game. Never mind the uh, the tight schedule that we have. We don't care about that right now. What what really matters now is Mark Oud. And uh, yeah, as, as for the match, uh, the hammer blow for Schalke to concede that goal that late on. Um, but... Um, yeah, going forward, they 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 have they have chances to actually gather some points because the next six matches are against sides from from the lower lower half of the table, mm-hmm. and you know with Freiburg and Bielefeld coming up, they should be able to you know get out of that winless streak. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, they have two home matches uh, coming up, Freiburg and Bielefeld, before the winter break. I feel like the effort that they put in against Augsburg may well be good enough to beat at least one of those teams. And at this point, you know, getting even three points out of the remaining uh, two games uh, before this winter break, I think would be a really big boost for Schalke. And getting six could be amazing. Augsburg moving ahead. Augsburg are now in in 10th place. You know, they've sort of been in and around that area with the likes of uh, Frankfurt, Augsburg, Hertha, Hoffenheim. This is probably going to be their their natural home. Let's just say they are facing Bielefeld away and Eintracht Frankfurt at home. Let's move on to talking about a game which I think might have caused you not bodily, but mental harm. <laughs> this was uh, Leipzig versus uh, Werder Bremen. It was a 2-0 win for Leipzig. It was in Leipzig. It was really, you know, only one team were, were likely to win this one heading into the match, and not much happened in the match to counter that narrative. Um, you know, RB, they were coming off that draw in, in Munich to, you know, strengthen their credentials as, as a team who can hang around, uh, maybe challenge for the title. They got that big win at home to, uh, you know, Man United at midweek. They, you know, advanced in the Champions League. They were just on a completely different level to Bremen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tobias Escher summed it up nicely on Twitter, saying that at the start of the season, you could say that uh, the uh, list of things Bremen were doing better than last season was actually being quite long. But over the last few weeks, you could sort of strike off point after point from that list and... Uh, Right now, you're just at a point where you can say that they're doing dead ball situations better than they did last season. And uh, at the end of the match, I, I would argue, after a boatload of free kicks and corner kicks not leading to one single chance for Werder, you could strike that off the list too. Um, I, I mean, from a Werder perspective, what was really frustrating is, is the fact that they actually did have some sort of opportunities to counter with like four against three or three against two on three or four occasions and time and time again the precision was lacking there was um, those chances were squandered and when they ended up with a shot it was of course Leonardo Bittencourt taking that shot from 20 to 25 yards out oh my god oh my god that is my least favorite play in the Bundesliga is Leonardo Bittencourt taking a shot from 22 yards out yeah and the fact that Werder Bremen now has given away a needless penalty to two matches in a row. Ludwig Augustinsson, yeah, he goes up for for a header there. And uh, yes, I, I suppose it's a natural movement, but he just catches Yusuf Poulsen straight in the face with his elbow. So I don't think that the referee had any other choice but to give that penalty, even though Florian Kofeld even disagreed after seeing the pictures after the match. Uh, I, I would say that he did. He made the right call. And uh, yeah, that, that one moment of Daniel Olmo... Um, it made look it made Christian Gross look like a regional Liga player, <laughs> basically. But the only thing that Leipzig are probably regretting is that they didn't do more for the goal difference in this match, really. Yeah. You talk about Bremen sort of reverting to their old ways, and by that I mean their the the ways of last season. It's it's there in the results. I mean, how how quickly things turn from a, a, an unbeaten run to a winless streak. You know, the pivot point was those those five draws in a row, which you know there was there was a win or two before those, and now after those five draws, you got three losses in a row. Definitely soured the mood. I think um, Werder have uh, you know Dortmund at home 
coming up as well as Mainz away. I, I know for a fact that you're not looking at that Dortmund game with a whole lot of hope, but maybe the Mainz game? I mean, what's going to be pivotal for for Werder is to get something out of that match, at least a draw. Because then you can probably go into that tiny winter break still being above the relegation zone. Regroup, work on certain things, and do better. If Werder loses both matches, and if uh, Mainz and uh, Schalke are starting to catch up, it's it's going to be a really choppy ride for the second half of the season, to say the least. Yeah. Leipzig's run into the winter break. They get uh, Hoffenheim away and Cologne at home. That looks pretty easy. Let's talk now about Borussia Mönchengladbach. You know, not only were, were Leipzig uh, one of the many teams who advanced in Europe, Gladbach um, came off a high of their own. Uh, they they lost at the, the De Stefano Stadium uh, to Real Madrid. But, you know, they advanced in the, the, the Champions League anyway. I don't think that this was their best game of the season, uh, let's just say. They, but they did play fine against against Hertha, but it wasn't enough. Yeah, Matteo Gendouzi uh, got a you know, nice long-range strike early in the second half to put a little bit of pressure on Gladbach. But, um, you know, Braille Embolo pushed the ball over the line with his knee. There was a lot more uh, <laughs> in store for Gladbach if it weren't for, you know, Alexander Schwolov and uh Dedrick Boyata's goal line uh, heroics. I feel like it was, you know, leaving this game aside for a moment, just looking at, at Gladbach going into the, the remainder of the season. I feel like it was a big deal for them to advance in the Champions League, uh, especially after the dis- disappointment in uh, the Europa League last season, especially after, you know, the cloud that is, seems to be hanging over Marco Rosa and his future. I feel like if they can make a, a bigger dent in the Champions League, Maybe he's not really that interested in going to Dortmund. Maybe some of these players who might be sort of looking at the next step in their career are thinking, hey, maybe the next step is staying here and, and winning the league. Well, maybe, maybe, just maybe. But um, let's see. Let's see uh, if that Champions League fairy tale is going to continue. But uh, fair play to them. Uh, they had one of the toughest, if not the toughest group of them all. And, um, you know, they should have been they should have been through before the last match day because they, you know, they, they squandered leads both against Inter and uh, Real in, in those first two matches against them. And um, they had two match balls, really. And um, in the end, they managed to go through because of Inter's inability to score against the Ukrainian side that pretty much was out of the competition at that stage. So yeah, it, but it was such a strange group. I mean, Gladbach winning in big fashion against Shakhtar on two occasions. Shakhtar winning twice against Real Madrid. Inter, you know, winning against Gladbach, then, but not not really getting any sort of other results uh, against all the other teams in the league uh, in in that uh, in that group. Utterly, utterly strange. Um, but yeah, fair play to Gladbach. They managed to get through the toughest group of them all, besides Leipzig's group, which was also considered to be very, very tough. It's good for them, but um, we'll have to see because what Gladbach basically have to do before the winter break, if they want to, you know, uh, be in with a shout for those Champions League places, they have to win the next two matches. Those draws are not going to cut it anymore. Yep, yep. I think they're reasonably well-placed to do that. I mean, Frankfurt is a team who has, uh, I believe, underachieved thus far, much like Gladbach in a lot of ways. Um, But Hoffenheim... That uh, that home match against Hoffenheim to close things out uh, at the moment, 
Gladbach really should have the measure of them. Any thoughts about uh, Hertha's run-in? They have uh, a fairly soft landing, let's just say. They're at home to Mainz uh, and, and you know away to Freiburg. Nobody likes to play away to Freiburg, but let's face it, they are in 14th, so it, it's something that a, a team that has ambitions to go higher should be able to do. A big city club should do well in Freiburg, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, as I said before on earlier episodes, is that Hertha have already faced many, many, many of the big boys of the league. Now it's time to, you know, do what they do best. Uh, go out and attack. Uh, Matthias Kunjic is, co- is coming back after his suspension for those two matches. Um, so, yeah, they, they shouldn't shouldn't have any trouble scoring against both of those teams and uh, probably get six points out of that. And, and that is what they need if, you know, they want to go places in the league. Yep, yep. I, I feel like, you know... Not only did they kind of get away with it at this uh, this game in in Gladbach, as I mentioned, there were, there were definitely chances for Gladbach to to win this game late, but you know, to get a point away to a team as good as as Gladbach without your best player, not bad. And and I feel like you know adding Cunha to the mix, and now that that Jordan Tarunariga is back, and they can put that sort of a one uh, combination there with with Tarunariga and Boyata at the back. Um, I'm feeling pretty good about the next two games. You should, but but hey, let's let's talk about America's favorite side, DC Arminia Bielefeld. <laughs> exactly, their 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 uh, their plans to tour uh, South Carolina, you know, Charleston, Columbia, uh, you know, Florence, Greenville, Spartanburg. It's it's it, they're all uh, it's taking shape. All coming it's together. Taking shape, man. It's taking shape. Um, you know, I mean, bef- not before long, you'll. Your phone will ring, and it's going to be some press officer of Armenia saying, Hello, Mr. Harmon, can you advise us on hotels in Colombia? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll look on, uh, you know, booking.com for that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, South Carolina, from, from what I've heard, is, is, is a lovely place, and uh, doing a summer tour there, it, I think the Armenia players would, would love it. They, I, I think I think they would love that excursion more than the trip to the prize gap. Yeah, yeah, especially if they like golf. That's a, it's, a, it's kind of a golfy place, South Carolina. <laughs> they might run into Donald Trump enjoying his retirement. Yeah, if, if, Who knows? You know, if Donald Trump leaves uh, office and has to go into exile, uh, I think he'll choose to go to South Carolina, which, you know... <laughs> It's kind of a kind of a separate country, let's just say. Oh dear, <laughs> I'm dying to go there. I'm I'm dying to go to South Carolina. I've uh, uh, many many of you've contacted me on Twitter saying that that tour of Armenia of South Carolina and uh, the states sounded like a great idea. And uh, you know what? If they if they make it happen, I'll try to make it over. Absolutely, promise. Unfortunately, America's team. Uh, lost to 2-0 in Freiburg, as lots of teams do. Freiburg is not an easy place to get a result. Uh, but not only did they lose, but they were pretty much outplayed for the for the duration of this match. Um, Freiburg had lots of chances to get on the board in the first half and, and you know, getting on of this, into the second, but didn't do so until the last, you know, 15, 20 minutes or so. And, uh, you know, they have probably a pretty... I mean, really, you look at the two teams' run-ins, they're pretty similar. I mean, they both are playing Schalke, which, you know, that's a bit of a wild card at the moment, considering uh, all those teams are scrapping for points. And then each one has a mid-table side in, uh, you know, Freiburg has Hertha in their final game. Bielefeld has Augsburg in their penultimate game. Any guesses as to who's going to, you know, fare better in this, or are they both just not going to win anything? 
I could see Freiburg win against Schalke, actually, or get a point. Hertha could struggle against sure. Freiburg, potentially. They've done it before. Even though I think they should be favourites to, to 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 win that match. Arminia, I would see losing against Augsburg, actually. But then again, as you said, as you noted, Freiburg, uh, Schalke, absolute wildcard. I mean, if Schalke could get a turnaround at some point, it'd probably be against a side like Armenia. But hey, we said that when they were playing Mainz, who were just as far down the table as they were. And... Uh, they drew that match as well. Yep, yep, indeed. Uh, and speaking of minds, this in, in our final match of the Talking Foosball episode, minds were probably pretty unlucky to to lose one nil at home to Cologne. Um, if you want to look at it from the positive side, I mean, Cologne put in a really really gritty performance to get these three points. Uh, this was, you know, the this is the Carnival Derby. They had twenty minutes. Up a man uh, did Mites, but couldn't find the net. I feel like there's been two or three games where Mites have basically outplayed their opponents, created more chances, and didn't quite get it done. I thought they were working that circumstance out because they have looked a little bit better uh, in terms of, of chance creation. But chance creation is not what gets people up the table, does it? No, I mean, they should have won last week against Armenia. They should have won here as well. Um, had more chances in both of these matches. And um, in two matches where they should have taken six points, they've taken precisely none. So um, for them, it's, it, you know, they would have been they would have been on par on with Bremen and, and some of these other teams on 11 points, uh, you know, if they had taken their chances. But now they're, they are looking at spending the, the tiny winter break below the line being in, in the relegation zone and uh, certainly not a good thing and uh, for them as with Bremen that match between them and Werder Bremen is going to be absolutely key for how the rest of the season is going to go for them because actually I, I don't see Mainz winning against Hertha as for Cologne I think they are probably lucky that they've managed to grind out sort of a mini run of um, some results uh, like that win against Dortmund that draw last week and now they, they got another win so um, yeah uh, they are good they have probably uh, done just enough to be over the line, maybe, uh, for that winter break. But yeah, there are two matches against Leverkusen and Leipzig are probably not. Uh, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't count on 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 them getting an awful lot of points from them. Yeah. Well, you know, Cologne. They were they were the uh, you know final week of the uh, the Herbstmeisterschaft English week specialists last season, getting taking nine points from nine. So uh, if they can do it this time, when when the second and third games of that run are, are against Leverkusen and Leipzig, I will be impressed. If they do, I might switch over to Kelch for an entire month. Ooh, that sounds spicy. <laughs> Actually not. Kelch is very mild. It is. It is. And... Um, yeah, I, I do miss going to Cologne and uh, you know getting getting those like tiny tiny glasses and which they come, they just come and bring you more and more as as time progresses and uh, yeah, marvelous city, marvelous city. Okay, this is uh, the end of this edition of Talking Foosball. It was produced as always by Aiden Rantoul, Nick Vildhagen. What a pleasure it was again. Well, as always, great great to be on. And uh, yeah, if, if you are, if the Zodiac is listening, uh, get in touch with us. We, we would like to talk about your letters. Yeah, and we definitely will not pass along your information to any relevant law enforcement authorities. 
Yeah. Uh, you can you can uh, follow up on Nick uh, at, on Twitter at Norm Musings and, you know, lots, lots more from him on our Patreon page. He has been the spearhead of our expanded Patreon coverage. And for that, we owe him a great debt. If you want to contact me, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman on Twitter. You can also hit up the podcast in general at Talking Foosball. Please do subscribe. Please do rate five stars. The only possible option. Tell your friends. This is some Nixon Mullion. <laughs>